And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Episode 18. Are you binging? Are you binging these episodes? Tony Gapastone, back at you here. Rebecca Mosa. And you are in for a cool treat because this is our first, our first, right? Correspondent? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So if you go back to all the way to episode one or two, I think we talked about doing this. We talked about having other people coming on or creating podcasts, or sorry, maybe creating interviews that we would host here on our podcast, right? Yes. So it's finally happened. So 18 episodes in, John Fusco, who was from the Bay Area, he grew up in Marin across from Golden Gate Bridge and now lives in New York. We connected because he used to be on a podcast called the No Film School. He's no longer with No Film School, but now he's with Brave Maker. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take him. Yeah. So John Fusco had a short film called The Guy that was in our film festival in June, and then he went to the Palm Spring Film Festival a couple weeks ago, and he interviewed two different filmmakers. So this is the, actually, this is the first uh, of two, and the first one is actually Nick Bornstein, or Nikki Bornstein, okay. who you're going to get to meet here. Rekka hasn't heard them yet, so this is going to no, be a, a treat I'm for excited, you. Yeah. So Nick is a gay Jewish man who has two different short films going on in the festival circuit right now. And I should, we actually, he gave them to us. We can't make them public yet, but you may see one of them at the Brave Maker Film Fest potentially. But they're really cool. They're comedy. They're very kind of off the beaten path. And they're all about his unique journey about being a person of Jewish faith in the LGBTQ community. And I think he has a lot to say about just finding your voice. And John is a really good podcaster. He knows how to ask good questions and engage with people. So we're really excited for you all to know about uh, Nick Bornstein. Yeah, and how exciting is it that Brave Maker is growing? Yes. We're just branching yes. everywhere, so I love it. And that also invites you for your comments. Please like and share these podcasts with people. If you're digging on this content, make it known on your social medias because we want these filmmakers also. This is a way they get their content known. So people come and they say yes to being on our podcast in hopes that you will then also follow their socials and, and follow their work too. But before we get into Nick and John, why don't we give them the save the date for our next film do you know can you do you know it september 17th close oh september 12th oh ah. <laughs> there's a couple happening actually I don't know. I, no okay okay as soon as you said that i'm like no it was the 12th <laughs> so thursday june 12th if you are in redwood september. city oh my gosh <laughs> i'm not going we, down alone we <laughs> are a little nutty you know why we're nutty because we're doing a bunch of podcast intros in a row on yeah. a night we're we're shooting we're shooting like any minute here, uh, a short film. But yes, September 12th. So this is the cool thing. If you're a Bay Area listener, I can tell you this. It's going to be a film called 
on the edge of success, Thursday, June 12th in Redwood City. September 12th. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> September 12th in Redwood City. But we're also going to be screening that same film in Novato, California. Oh, okay, cool. Yes, on the following Thursday oh, in nice. September, September 19th. Okay. So mark your calendars, September 12th and <laughs> September 19th. Yes. Yes. We have two women filmmakers, Lisa and Catherine, who will be in attendance. We will be doing a panel discussion on mental health and suicide prevention with teenagers as well. Yeah. Uh, talking about just dealing with anxiety and depression in this space of high school. So really, really cool opportunity. And all that information is on on bravemaker.com so you can check that out okay so with that John Fusco by the way John Fusco always gets uh, misconnected because his name is also right you looked it, it up it happened to me yeah <laughs> I was like wait a second <laughs> so we'll put his correct socials and stuff in our show notes you can check out John Fusco who's now corresponding for Brave Maker enjoy Brave stories change the world you are the story Hey guys, this is John Fusco, and I am here with Nick Bornstein. And uh, is Nick? Do you go by Nick? I do. Okay. It is confusing though because I currently have a necklace around my neck that says Nikki. Nikki? Yeah. Because I went by Nikki my whole childhood, mm-hmm. and I love the name Nikki, mm-hmm. and I've sort of like reclaimed that name in recent months. Okay. But it's very confusing because I do go by Nick, and then everyone immediately looks at me and sees my necklace, and they're like, Nikki. Nick, so whatever you want to call me. Okay. okay. What do you want to be called for this? For the purposes of, of this interview, let's go by Nikki. You want to do Nikki? The well, necklace is I on. Kn- I know you by Nikki. I'll say that. Great. I remember you as Nikki when we went to college together. Um, and I want to, of course, talk about your two films, uh, your two shorts that you have on the festival circuit right now, which is quite an accomplishment. Thank um, you. But first, I want to get a sense of you know, since college. Um, what you did to sort of put yourself in this position where uh, you're able to make these shorts um, and have them be as successful as they are. I know we talked about this a bit last night, um, the two of us, how we had sort of a similar path in some ways, um, an alternative filmmaking career path, Mm -hmm. I guess you'd call it. Um, But I'd like to hear straight from your, straight from the mouth of Nikki, what happened after college for you? Sure, yeah. And thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. We are sitting in this very cool pool house in Palm Springs. Oh, yeah. I should say we're, we're in Palm Springs We're in right Palm now. Springs. Uh, this is the, we're at the Palm Springs International Short Fest, and uh, we both have movies here, which is great. Amazing. Um, and it's a lot of fun so far. It's like one of the best festivals I've been to I know. Ever. It's um, it's kind of amazing that we can like see movies, be in the desert, like drink Negronis under the desert sunlight. It's amazing. Sunlight, moonlight, sunlight, moonlight. I mean, you know, it, probably the sunlight because it's hot as shit here. Yeah, but it's there's pretty pools bad. everywhere, so that's the adver- or the the good side of totally. things, I guess. Total gift. But uh, anyways, back to your story. Um, you know, we you let's actually start. Where, what classes did you take in college? Because I know that that was important mm-hmm. for like setting you up into the field that you uh, wanted to go into. So what was your focus in college that sort of prepped you for um, making movies later on? Well, I was really unsure about what I wanted to go to college for. You know, when I was younger, I acted and 
you know, sort of had a very creative side of myself, but I also loved politics. That changed. Uh, I loved music. That also changed. I mean, I still love music, but, you know, I think that that I, I sort of went into school with all these interests. And so I ended up going to Gallatin at NYU where you can design your own curriculum and while I was there, I took many different roads. Again, I sort of initially thought I wanted to work in politics because I was in student council. And of course, that makes sense and that translates that that means you want political office. Um, but then quickly it was like, this is a disaster. And then I ended up sort of finding my way into like the music business. And I interned at Sony Music and found myself in the world of A&R, like artist and repertoire, which is basically development, but in music. You know, you're finding bands, working with artists, sort of developing their their sound. And what I loved about that was the creative process. Like I loved working creatively with people, but the music business at the time was completely, you know, being destroyed and people were just losing jobs left and right. And as like a young person in the business, I was like, this is not a sustainable career, um, at least at that time. So I, I ended up getting an internship at the Today Show and that was like my first experience in television and sort of in the film spaces. And I really loved it. I really loved that medium and that sort of evolved into, you know, interning and sort of developing my curriculum around film, television, both in terms of like creative and producing and filmmaking, but also in terms of like the business side of things. And this was during college. This was you, you were getting these internships at college. You're, you're saying, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Yeah, I was. I was. I. We were so lucky. I think you know, going to school in New York. Um, there was just so many resources to us as young people trying to understand the business. I always say too that like I had so many like experiences in interning and at school where I was just like none of this is serving me. Like I just like quickly realized the things that I liked and I didn't like. And I always say that those are like the best learning experiences mm-hmm. because like, you know, I had an amazing internship at an amazing company, but it was in like digital product development. And I was like, I don't really want to be testing websites for bugs in their interface. <laughs> it was a really important experience to have, but I sort of came out of school with this knowledge that like, I love film and television because I love film and TV shows. You know, that's what I love about what we do and what we watch. You know, I think the marketing side is so important, but it, it didn't necessarily interest me in the way that actually making this stuff made me feel. So after sort of all of these different experiences in in school, I landed my first job at a small television network called Pivot. And Pivot was a a cable network that was born out of Participant Media, which is a film studio that did did like, you know, Syriana and Contagion and um, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel 1 and 2. And Don't forget about 2. Don't forget about 2. Never forget about 2. And, you know, they were a, a sort of television network all around sort of social justice and and their mantra was sort of entertainment that inspires social change. And it was an incredible grad school for me because I was, you know, really the first New York employee of this brand new television network and got to see how a TV network was built and what it meant to not only develop and make the shows, but also to market the shows, to have advertisers that were trying to, you know, sell on this brand new network, research why the shows were working. 
And, you know, throughout all of that, it was just this incredible experience. And where I landed after sort of playing in all these different departments and spaces was sort of original programming and development, you know, sort of working at a company and developing shows, whether that was fiction or nonfiction, long form or short form, that's sort of where I landed. So can you define development for our audience? Just because I think it's such a... uh, um it's a hard term to get a grasp for if you're yeah. not, like, super into it. So are these, like, shows that you're sitting in a room and, like, coming up with uh, as a part of a think tank? Are these shows that are being brought to you that you're kind of greenlighting and, like, bringing, further developing from another person's idea from outside the company? What is it exactly that you would do in development? It's a great question. And frankly, there's so many terms for this department and job. There's like programming, there's development, there's original programming, there's creative producing. I mean, no matter how you slice it, what it basically is, is working very closely with a filmmaker, a writer, a comedian, a documentarian, some sort of maker who has an idea for something. Um, And depending on if you're at a television network, if you're at a film studio, if you're at a platform, if you're, you know, wherever you are, there is this sort of need of an internal department that sort of shapes ideas. And sometimes it's developed in-house. Sometimes it's, you know, just brought on a pitch. Sometimes it's a little bit of both of saying, well, we want to do something in this space of like cool pool houses in Palm Springs. Who do we know that can sort of do something with that? Um, And that, for me, scratched a big itch because around the time that I graduated from NYU, I was sort of having this feeling that I wanted to make stuff too. You know, I I loved the idea of working so closely with people and sort of helping their visions come alive and sort of shaping their ideas. But I think that I also was like, huh, do I have ideas? If so, maybe I should use that same sort of skill set that I'm using with other people and sort of use it towards my own work and my own filmmaking. Um, And there's a lot of really talented people in development who sort of have similar backgrounds of they're writers, they're, I've met a lot of English majors who work in development, um, who just like are voracious readers. And, you know, for me, it was such a great experience to kind of come up in that route because I also got to really understand, you know, how this process works And, and to your question, is so different every single company and studio and network that you work for. Some places want to develop stuff like to the, you know, period on every page of a script, like Netflix, like from what I can understand, they want things that are like fully developed and packaged before it's brought to them. Whereas like other television networks and film studios really want to collaborate and sort of start from scratch and, and collaborate to make the thing work for them. So, you know, I think development means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, but for me, I think it's really this collaboration between a filmmaker and sort of a, a suit, if you will, to sort of make something really affect an audience. Well, so you had your experience in that room on the suit side of things, we'll say. Um, Don't worry, I never wore a suit, never. but yes. But you are also learning in that process about what is attractive for the suits, in a sense. And uh, in that way, you're able to kind of get a get an edge on creating your own stuff and potentially pitching things to suits later on. Mm-hmm. Is there any advice you can give to filmmakers or people who have ideas uh, that are looking to get into development rooms or looking to have their stuff seen by development people suits? 
be chill. <laughs> I mean, I really do think that like sometimes, and we were talking about this last night as well. I mean, I think being a filmmaker is so scary and vulnerable and hard. I mean, to make something is is a labor of love, sweat, tears, money. So, you know, I think that for us as filmmakers, this is our everything, you know, and we want people to know about it and we want people to care about it. And I think that you, of course, are always going to be your biggest proponent of your work and you should be. You should believe in your work and, and know that it is something really special because it is. But I think that oftentimes filmmakers think that they need to express that and vocalize that to an executive no matter where that is, if it's in a bathroom, it's if it's in an elevator. And I think that like oftentimes executives want to build really sustainable and organic relationships with filmmakers. Mm-hmm. You know, they will see your film and they will react to it. And if it something that they really loved, they will reach out and, and sort of try to create a conversation around it. Um, I've been approached both as a filmmaker and I've, I'm sorry, as an executive, and I felt this as a, as a filmmaker where I've been like, okay, I really want this person to, to see me and to know my work. And... I think that the idea of being chill goes a really long way of like, if you're coming to a festival or if you're trying to pitch a project, like it's a conversation. It, it should really be sort of something where you can, two people can have a sort of a grounded chat about the project that they're working on and not feel like you're in a rat race to sell. Mm-hmm. That's my perspective. I mean, that's sort of the projects that I've worked on that I've loved both in terms of being a filmmaker or an executive have been projects where I just like have loved the creative process. Like I've really loved the vibe between two people. You know, it moves really fluidly. There is oftentimes going to be people who just don't understand your work and that's okay. The beauty of our business right now is that there are so many buyers, there are so many producers, And it really is important to take the time to find your tribe, to find the right people who understand what it is that you want to make, who can support you in that, because that'll go a long way. I mean, I think having a champion is is so important, whether on the production side or on the suit side. Do you have any advice for people who uh, are looking for a tribe, how to get into a tribe, essentially, especially if you didn't, you know, go to film school or you don't really have access to... Uh, film festivals, or what can people do to try and create a tribe? This is going to sound very um, new age. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Jenna Wortham. I don't know if you know Jenna Wortham. I do not know Jenna Wortham is a, is a culture reporter for the New York Times and has a fantastic podcast called uh, Still Processing. Mm. And she is just like this incredible like v- voice in radio for me and talks a lot about sort of self-care and the spirit and all this amazing stuff. And I think I really believe that you can find your tribe if you're just your authentic, honest self, Mm. because people will gravitate towards that and want to work with you and sort of collaborate with you if you're just like you. Mm. And I think as filmmakers, so much of the work that we make is us, right? You know, my, my two films are so inspired by my life. I wrote them, I directed them, and I'm in them. And I dance in one of them. Yep. So, you know, I think that, like, I can't hide from that. And I think... I was able to find my tribe of collaborators and I'm still continuing to sort of find them and collaborate with great new people because I think there was a shared understanding of like who we are and what we're looking to make. Um, And I think that, you know, on a practical level outside of just being yourself, like 
I think putting yourself out there in the right spaces, like going to mixers where there's other filmmakers or, you know, coming to film festivals if you have films there, submitting your films to festivals, um, taking advantage of, you know, professional organizations that exist. You know, we're based in New York and there's some really great professional organizations in New York of, you know, whether it's groups of comedians or directors or female filmmakers or industry. And I think that, you know, putting yourself in a space where like-minded people are goes a long way. So then let's jump ahead uh, a little bit in your career to your time at Topic because um, I think that that was not, maybe not your first success in terms of like getting a project developed to a point where it kind of just exploded uh, with the Richard Simmons podcast. Um, but also Topic is one of those uh, resources that you're talking about where you can kind of take advantage of getting your work seen to a broader network. So uh, let's first talk about your own experience at Topic, kind of like how uh, you got to this point where you created a successful show. Um, and then let's just talk about maybe like online curation for, uh, platforms in general and how that can be useful for filmmakers. Yeah, well, so... For those who don't know, Topic.com is a digital platform that launched about a year and a half ago, and, and it's sort of under the First Look Media banner. First Look Media is owned by Piero Midiar, and Topic is this really cool, you know, free, non-advertiser-supported platform website uh, that is basically a, a very highly curated selection of short films, video series, photography, editorial, audio, and... I love the company because they are really supporting all types of makers. You know, we talk a lot about being a storyteller storyteller platform by and for storytellers. So I'm a storyteller. A lot of my colleagues are storytellers. And we work with really talented people to sort of, you know, break molds in a lot of ways. Um, You know, I've been with the company for about three and a half years in sort of various roles. And the company is really supportive of specifically the short form series model. And over the last five years, five plus, the short form model has been so volatile. People don't know what to do with short films. People don't know what to do with short series. Um, Every sort of four months, there would be like a new entrant, a new platform, and then that would like radically change and then a new one would come and that would shut down and Topic has sort of been consistently you know producing and commissioning short form work and um, you know for me I I sort of started at the company doing television long form stuff and then I sort of assumed other roles as well both audio and digital short form and it was really exciting for me because it was really a, a home for me as an executive to like develop stuff that I was really excited about. Um, and, and that's a bit of a rare case, I think, for some executives. You know, a lot of times executives will work at brands where, you know, it's maybe not their actual sensibility or like personal alignment, but topic I felt that way. And it was wild. I mean, to be developing work that was seen by a lot of people, that was really the first time I had as a producer, been on that stage. Mind you, it was audio, which was, you know, a very sort of nascent form, and it continues to, like, evolve and change and be so exciting. But, you know, I developed and produced um, a podcast called Missing Richard Simmons, which was basically about this sort of very surreal and bizarre disappearance of Richard Simmons. And we worked with an amazing filmmaker named Dan Tversky, and it was was really – 
incredible to be a part of a cultural phenomenon and also overwhelming because you start to see, I'm calling it a cultural phenomenon. People listening to this. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you. People internationally have no idea who Richard Simmons is or, nor the podcast. So it is sort of funny because I was like, oh yeah, you know this podcast? And everyone was like, who is that? But I think that Richard story is just connected to so many people and people cared about him and the storytelling through which I think we told it was so um, heartfelt and curious and Dan had a personal connection to him and it was really the first time I had made something. You know, I had worked at at Pivot, as I mentioned, and I worked on a couple shows there that, you know, people liked but was never, like, on that massive, like, critical stage. Then I was a producer for a couple of years and worked on a couple of reality shows and digital series. And, again, it was a similar sort of experience. But with Missing Richard Simmons, it really just became a different beast. And I think it it sort of made me very curious about what happens when you are the person, like – when you're the creator or the maker who sort of becomes in the spotlight. Because Dan faced, who's the host of Simmons, faced a lot of really sort of supportive critique, but also a lot of backlash. And, you know, I, as the producer of that show, as one of the producers of that show, was able to sort of like just kind of see it and and be really proud of it. Um, But I I think that it makes me think about my own filmmaking Mm -hmm. And how exciting that is to sort of be able to have a voice of your own and, and tell stories and be proud of those stories and hope that they get seen and heard and viewed by people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about uh, getting those stories viewed by people. Um, and I know that you're a big fan of getting your stuff seen as quickly <laughs> yeah. and by as many people as possible. Uh, how can websites like Topic help you and why is that important to you? Why is that ethos important to you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that as filmmakers, our biggest currency is our work. You know, we have to be able to showcase our work to people, whether it's, you know, an audience to just kind of experience and engage the filmmaking that we're telling and the emotional depths that we're excavating. But I also think that, you know, in terms of furthering our careers, in terms of the next steps of our careers, you know, whether it's trying to get financing for something or leveling up to a different medium or, you know, whatever it may be, executives, producers, financiers, they need to see your stuff. And, you know, I think that my point of view is getting your work out there at the right time is really, really beneficial. And right time means a lot of things to a lot of different people because we were talking about momentum, You know, I think that you can sort of create momentum at various stages in your sort of filmmaking release journey. It could be through festivals. It could be through press. It could also just be like when you release it and, you know, making sure that your friends and your family and your sort of guerrilla networks promote it. But really, I think it's important to put your work out there. And the beauty of the Internet is it's the Internet. It's so accessible. You know, you can make your work seen by your, like, grand aunt in Milwaukee or wherever, you know, shout out to Milwaukee. I'm not trying to say that that's yeah. Weird. uh, (laughs) I know. Go to weird. Go to. Sorry guys. Love you, Milwaukee. But I think that, you know, it's so important to get it out. And I have, I have encountered this where it's like, I want to hold on to it. You know, I'm like, Oh, it's not, I'm not ready yet. It's not time. And, you know, I really believe that you should strategize it. You know, you should sort of see who the players are, who might be interested in, licensing or distributing or 
doing something with your project, chances are there's not a ton. I mean, there's, there's aside from topic and, you know, soon to be Quibi and like New York Times Opdocs and Black Pills and, you know, there's a few sort of short form um, platforms, but for the most part, you know, I think a Vimeo release or a Vimeo staff pick, if you can sort of work with the curation team there, is is huge. Um, and again, I think that like it just goes a long way to put that out in the world at the right time. Yeah, short of the week is another platform that Absolutely. does that. Those uh, those other one, the New York Opdocs, that those are more. Uh, are, will they pay you for your work immediately? So that's great, but you know, chances are that you're not going to be able to really do that if you're just starting out you're not going to get rich off short films yeah no you're just not i mean i think in a perfect world maybe you can get some financing to make a short Mm -hmm. but i think that again shorts being currency for us they're an amazing way to get your work seen at Mm -hmm. the right cost as an independent filmmaker um kickstarter you know shout out to the wonderful people at kickstarter um because i think that's another great way to sort of get your work finance Mm -hmm. should that be something that you're in need of and it's like uh you know it's like a boulder it's like a snowball effect you get you keep the ball rolling essentially when you make your first short you get it seen by people it'll be easier to get financing for your next short uh and then you know who knows what happens from there um so this is for a podcast called the brave maker podcast and i know that um they're very interested in what exactly that term brave maker means to directors um and you know it's kind of a sandwiching of brave and filmmaker is what I'm thinking, but also you were, you were talking about makers earlier in the show. Um, so I was wondering if you could define for yourself what it means to be a brave maker. Well, I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, like it's so hard to make movies. Mm-hmm. It takes so much courage. It takes so much bravery because it's you, it's your insecurities, it's your fears, it's your excitements, like all boiled into these like, sometimes one minute to 90 minute things. And for me, I have learned so much about myself in making my own movies, you know, both in terms of like logistics and production and like my own sort of ability to make, but also in my courage and bravery to tell stories that I think at one point scared me or felt like they shouldn't be told. Um, You know, these two films that I made last year, which are on the festival circuit called Sweater and 99, are like so much a part of me. And I think if you see them, I hope if you see them, you really get a snapshot into who Nikki Bornstein is. You know, and and I and I think that's really exciting that people see them and see me in some ways. And again, listen, I, we've talked about this. You're also in your film and you know, I think when you are wearing so many hats or, you know, not even, even just when your film is representative of you, there is a little bit of distance as well. Like I am not those characters. Those characters are not me, but they tell stories that are important to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they tell stories about family and addiction and humor and dance and relationships and queerness, Mm -hmm. all things that have sort of directly impacted me. They stem from themes that you've had come up in your life over and over and over again. So even though they're not like directly an extension of yourself, they're things that you've been preoccupied with for a very long time. And it's coming up with that courage to kind of give yourself the license to give your own vision on what those themes mean to the world, I think, where uh, great filmmaking comes into play. Um, So let's talk about your two shorts. I mean, it's crazy. They both premiered. They both, both of their world premieres, right, were at Tribeca. Uh, You are 
probably the only person that I know <laughs> who had two short films uh, premiere at Tribeca at the same festival and such a prestigious festival. Um, can you tell us a bit about 99 and Sweater? Sure, yeah. Um, so 99 and Sweater are two films that I wrote, directed, and I perform in. And they both premiered at Tribeca, which was insane and was such an amazing experience because this has really been my first time as a filmmaker at festivals. You know, I'd, I'd come to festivals in the past. Um, I came to festivals in the past? <laughs> Grammar. Grammar time. And I, you know, it always kind of come as a producer and sort of was seeing other people's work. And um, this has been really been my first time on a circuit where it's been my work. And, you know, as I sort of made this jump into pursuing my passion as a filmmaker, I really promised myself that I would make a bunch of movies. So last year I made three films, three short films. The third one has not sort of been released or um, been out in the world yet. I'm still finishing it. But the other two were 99 in Sweater. And 99 came first, which is an intimate sort of portrayal of a mother and her adult son who are shopping for a bar mitzvah gift at a 99 cent store, uh, which again was really personal to me because my mom loves 99 cent stores. Like my whole life we've been going to dollar stores. And I really wanted to tell this sort of very intimate, short experience between, you know, mother and son, people who love each other but have a lot of tension. And, you know, I – that to me is a dark comedy, but I think it sort of leans a little bit more to the darkness than maybe more of the comedy, um, although it's playing a comedy festival in a few weeks, which is kind of ironic. Um, and then the other film is called Sweater, which is totally different in terms of tone. Um, it's about a guy who has an awful day, and that day is sort of um, experienced through a very interesting emotional moment, which I don't want to give too much away, but uh, you know, it, it sort of plays with this surrealness. But that film, to me, is, is about joy. You know, That film was really meant to be a much lighter, brighter, joyful experience. Well, you got both sides of your sort of psyche out there in that sense. I sure do. And, like, you got both of those psyche sides into festivals, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and, you know, we're talking about, like, telling your own stories. Um, and I, I want to talk about how being a member of the queer community has affected your work. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it drives you to some pretty personal stuff. But... Um, how does it inform your work? Like when, when you're creating, uh, you're not specifically looking to make something within a genre. You're just telling a story, right? Absolutely. You know, I'm a, I'm a proud member of the queer community, and and I uh, m most of my films, you know, I've I've made several prior to these two as well, and most of them have been about my experiences. You know, and as a queer person, that involves the queer experience. And for me, you know, I think that the stories that I'm interested in telling are stories that are about people. And those people happen to be queer. And that doesn't necessarily change a narrative, in my opinion, of how I want to tell my stories. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I'm many things, right? And queer is one of them. I am Jewish. I am short. I am a dancer. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a bunch of different things. I'm bearded. Um, 
if you want to go into tribes, we can talk about tribes. But but I think that for me, like I wanted to, I've I've been really excited about sort of seamlessly folding in those experiences and those storytelling into my queer experiences. Um, I also am a filmmaker who really enjoys telling joyful, positive stories. Um, and there's a lot of conversations right now, and that I've noticed and and I've sort of witnessed in the queer community about queer filmmakers wanting to or not wanting to tell stories about certain things in in their experiences. And I think that is totally great. Every filmmaker should have their own point of view. And I think that I'm still kind of exploring what aspects to it I'm really excited by. Um, But I certainly love telling really joyful, positive, um, wonderful stories about our community because I think that for a very long time, those stories were overlooked and we oftentimes led more towards trauma and led more towards sort of the darker themes. Um, so, so for me, that's been something that's been sort of very integrative. And, and I think watching my films, those characters are both are queer, right? Like there's no hiding that, but they're sort of going through these other journeys that I think have been really exciting. Um, I liken a lot, you know, I'm a huge fan of Donald Glover, Love Donald Glover. And someone one time said that I'm like a queer Donald Glover. Wow, that's a compliment. Which was the nice, truly that I'm never going to, I'm never going to get better than that. That's <laughs> the nicest thing that anyone's ever said. But I think similarly to the way that Donald talks about his experiences and sort of his communities, like I would love to tell stories like that about the queer community. So you also have this support network, it seems, in the queer community um, but not maybe support network isn't really the right, right word, but there are festivals dedicated to celebrating your stories, um, and I know that you've gotten into quite a few of them. Um, can you talk about your experience submitting to these festivals, attending them? Totally. I, you know, I think, again, as I was saying, like, this has been my first time engaging in a film festival as a filmmaker, and it's so different. And a good friend of mine who's a filmmaker said to me, oh, yeah, it's like you're now the bride <laughs> instead of the, like, you know, bridesmaid yeah. or, you know, or a guest. Yeah, or something. Yeah, and I think that we were talking about this too. Like, it's so incredible. I mean, to sort of be here to celebrate your work and to meet other like-minded people, again, finding your tribe, because I think that it's so exciting to look at someone else and be like, oh my God, we're having the same experience. That's amazing. I feel the same. I'm just as scared. I'm just as nervous. Like, I'm just as excited. And I think that there's a, there's a layer to queer film festivals that has that on 10. Like, I think there's – because it's, you know, it's just like a smaller group of people who are sort of trafficking and playing in similar spaces. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm so, so grateful. You know, I've been on this really exciting festival run to sort of a, a, a good breakdown between both, you know, festivals that are curated to sort of – the queer community, but also to a broader community. I'm also playing a couple of Jewish film festivals, which I have yet to experience, but I'm very excited. Um, So I think it's been exciting to just, you know, kind of be amongst tribe members in those ways. And, and after Tribeca, which was, which was also really exciting because Tribeca, my films played in a specific block called the new online works section, um, which is a section that's meant for filmmakers who are sort of targeting digital distribution, Mm -hmm. targeting making work for the internet. Mm -hmm. And it's really exciting because I think there's been a massive evolution from like what used to be digital creators which were like influencers and youtube celebrities kind of dirty word too totally we don't say a topic we don't say web series Mm. like it's it's sort of like a very conscious choice that we don't use the word web what do you use 
we say digital series. Yeah, I think that's the right, the right call. Yeah. Um, but, but what was exciting about like that tribe at Tribeca was like, we were all sort of in this like scrappy maker space. Like we were all, you know, making short form work that was kind of like nebulous in form, but like was meant to be consumed online. So that was like an amazing community at Tribeca to be a part of. And then afterwards I went to Inside Out, which is a fantastic LGBTQ, uh, film festival in Toronto, which was really my first experience. And I'm so grateful um, to have had that experience. Um, I'm headed to Frameline Film Festival in San Francisco this weekend after Palm Springs, which will be another really exciting opportunity to sort of, you know, see people's responses. And it's also been exciting to see what these two films connect with in the programmers, in the sort of audiences. You know, I'm traveling to these festivals oftentimes with both films, but I've also been, you know, for instance, at Palm Springs, I'm just showing Sweater. Um, so, you know, it's been exciting to sort of see how audiences and how programmers respond, because I think that's also a big part of this as well. Have you had a moment to sort of digest that yet? Like, uh, the, 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 how do I phrase this? Having a short having one of your babies get into something while the other one is left behind. Oh, it's brutal. How does that make you feel as a filmmaker in terms of like the stories that you're trying to tell? Um, has it influenced in you, you in any way for the, for your, <laughs> for your future work or has rejection influenced me? Yeah. Absolutely. I think rejection is, is such a like hungry driving force for all of us. Um, there's so much rejection in this business and it's oftentimes really hard to pinpoint and sometimes not worth the emotional energy to pinpoint like why something wasn't accepted, why wasn't something wasn't picked up. There's so many conversations and I know this having been, you know, on those sides of the tables. Um, like I've juried film festivals. I've, I've commissioned work and it's so many things that go into the conversation. And so I think that what I try to do is live in the excitement and positivity about, you know, what people do respond to. Sure. Because I think that's all, that's kind of all we can really focus on. Um, I was lucky in that, you know, I, I made several films. So I, I, I sort of had a couple more at-bats <laughs> this festival cycle, mm. which was nice. You know, if, if people didn't necessarily respond to one, there was this other but at the same token, like, I was floored when Tribeca accepted both films because I'm also in both of them. And I was like, aren't you going to be, like, tired of my face? Like, you know, it's like, don't you, like, are you sure? <laughs> and um, Liza Dominitz, who's a programmer there who's incredible, just really believed in them and really loved how they offered different things. And, you know, I think that's been something exciting for me is, like, to just notice that both films are so different and offer different things. And I'm curious, you know, I think when people see them when they're released in September, like, I think it'll be really exciting to sort of like see how people respond and react to them and, and hopefully like them. Yeah. Well, you're, you're creating a toolbox for yourself in a way by making all this work and seeing what people respond to. You're, you're able to draw from each film for your next film. Um, you said it's being released in September. Where can people see it? So it's going to be released on a couple different platforms, and um, I can't necessarily announce them right now, but there will be several different digital platforms where people can see this. And, you know, it's a, it's sort of a, it's a mixture of subscription services, it's a mixture of um, free online platforms, um, my goal was to really allow people to see this thing. Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't want to have a ton of barriers of entry. Mm-hmm. And again, knowing that there's not like a ton of money in short film distribution, I wanted to be able to sort of talk to people in the places where they're watching their shorts, you know, whether those are sort of the more established places or sort of more niche platforms. Um, I'm just really excited that people responded to it and and that I, you know, had the opportunity to put it out there for people to see. That's yet another tribe, you know, another tribe of short filmmakers or people who appreciate the short medium. Totally. Um, So what is next for you then? Well, John, Jonathan... John Vincent is what I have on my stupid card because I thought that we had to put our middle names on the badge. (laughs) Ooh, John Vincent is good. I keep getting emails uh, to John Vincent. People keep referring to me as John Vincent. (gasps) You sound like an international male Italian model. Yeah, right? I I could go go with it. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. Vincenzo. Exactly. Giancarlo Vincenzo Fusco. It's like, that's a moneymaker right there. (laughs) I know my name is like, you know, it's like Nick Bornstein. <laughs> Nikki. Nikki Bornstein, exactly. There you go. Uh, but so, I mean, for me, you know, I'm, I'm releasing these films in September, which I'm super, super excited about. And, and they're playing at several more festivals um, this summer, which I'm really excited about. Uh, check them out if you're there. Check me out on my website, nickbornstein.com. Confusing. I know it should be nickybornstein.com. But I, I'm writing a feature film right now, which I'm really, really excited about, but it's really hard. I mean, I'm sure all the filmmakers out here, I'm sure you're, you know, in a similar land too. I just wrote a feature, yeah. Ugh. That... I have no idea what to do with it Yeah, I wrote it, so... It's, we can talk. We'll talk about it. it. <laughs> it's just hard. I mean, I just like, you know, I write these scenes and I'm like, is that long enough? Like, it's just like, you know, you, I, you, I think there's this pressure to... And I've read a lot of feature scripts for my job and like... I feel like there's this pressure to have a feature feel a certain way or look a certain way. And I think that I remember when I wrote my very first script and I had read so many scripts, like from a business side of you. I remember I was so concerned about the formatting. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, how did interior, like I just was like so consumed with like, does this thing look and feel like the thing that it's supposed to be? For me, it's always like, how much action should I be writing? Yeah. Is yours like a big action film? Not really. Uh, just like action oh, in the oh, sense of yeah. like, you know, like description, <laughs> like how, 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 how heavily should I be describing these people because I don't want my, you know, script to be 130 pages. I just want it to be like slim and right. concise. But I thought you meant you were like, how many like car explosions should right, I write right, in? Right. <laughs> yes. Lots of car explosions. I want it to be as big budget as possible. Exactly. The answer is more. Yes. <laughs> always more. So yeah, no, it's always, b- more. always more car crashes. Um, it's been a really exciting experience. And again, the feature that I'm writing is really personal. Mm. It again traffics in this sort of like darkly comedic sort of surreal space. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited by it and I'm feeling really inspired by a lot of things out in the world, both in terms of things that are on TV and in film and, and that has been really exciting. And my goal is, is to shoot that next year, um, which, you know, again, I would hope to write, direct, and perform in. Um, so I'm working on that, and then you know, once this film festival circuit is is done, I will submit this third film that I made last year to sort of the next one, which which I'm also really excited about because it's another it's another Nick Bornstein joint that I wrote, directed, and performed in. But you know, it's it's very stylized. It feels really different. The third short film is is just very different, and I think it will be a um, 
another, like you were saying, like another interesting calling card. I was really inspired by shows like Fleabag. I was really inspired by like Hot Fuzz, like Edgar Wright. Like, so it sort of has like this kind of crazy comedic style to it. Shout out to all the people who worked on it with me because they're amazing and and I'm really excited about it. But uh, it's also about how much I hate sports. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to the sports fans out there. I'm a sports fan. You know, that was never my tribe. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't. But we found our tribe, we found our tribe in other ways. Yeah. Well, Nick, I'm going to, Nikki, I'm going to let you go because you got a lot on your plate here this week. Um, Thanks for joining us. And uh, I can't wait to see the third short. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That feels like a very, that's like a very NPR thing. And there's always like a very quick, like, thanks. (laughs) Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Thanks. Bravemaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Bravemaker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.